Greetings. Welcome to the Optic Protective Intelligence Podcast. I'm Chuck Randolph, Optic's Executive Director of Strategic Intelligence. From 30 years as a military officer to transforming corporate executive protection, event security, and intelligence services teams to function beyond their traditional roles, protection, risk management, intelligence, and threat mitigation have been front and center throughout my career. This podcast series will explore the turbulent world of risk, security, and protection through conversations with leaders and innovators in the field. Now, on to the discussion. Ladies and gentlemen, Bruce McIndoe. Bruce, thanks for coming. I, I mean... I feel like uh, I feel like I'm literally having coffee with someone that I've known forever. Uh, uh, seems I, like forever. <laughs> I think I, I remember getting a briefing from you back in the iJet days. So thank you so much, Bruce, for coming by. The, uh, the my pleasure. The Absolutely. Booth. So I am talking to Bruce McIndoe. He's the president of McIndoe Risk Advisory, but those of us in the industry know him as a powerhouse <laughs> of risk and intelligence. You know, I, you know, president of World Aware, president of iJet. Every, I mean, you've been long everywhere. history, Intel long history, I mean, defense, and I, and I wanted to get you on the podcast to get your historical perspective on the industry. You and I have both been around. I think we have very similar ideas in terms of risk management, how mm-hmm. we approach it, and I know there's like a million things that I want to ask you. But right off the bat, what I'd like to what I'd like to get your opinion on. Look, we, you and I have been coming to this thing for a long time. Actually, has, anything, first, has, has anything changed? It was interesting. The first ASIS that we were keyed up to attend was our debut. And when 9-11 hit. Oh, my gosh. What so was that like? It was so it completely shut down yeah. marketing, <laughs> yeah. but completely turned on this segment. If you think so many people and we, we just came off of a anniversary of 9-11 mm-hmm. and you think about so many people who's who got into the industry mm-hmm. either directly or indirectly through those tragic events on, on 9-11. I, I would say 100% and all of the infrastructure, which luckily I had an opportunity to be part of with intelligence as far as, you know, counterterrorists, TSA, you know, all of the structures that, you know, we invested in and we invested in a cadre of intel analysts and really professionalize this in a, in a way that went beyond the government. It was really exciting. You know, interesting about 9-11 and your, and your business model, if, if you will allow me mm-hmm. for a minute, is, mm-hmm. okay, we're going to debut, 9-11 happens. Does it change your business model at all at that moment? And did you have to, how flexible did you have to be to say, look, we clearly are going to have to do things differently or, or... I mean, the business model for iJet? Yeah. It reinforced... Remember, I came out of the IC right. because there was no commercial indication and warning, exactly. near real-time alerting, and there's two sides to that coin. One is, here's the threat or the incident, mm-hmm. and then is it relevant to me or my organization, and then who needs to get it? So that dissemination phase, right? So we were doing that. So 9-11, when I was standing in our op center and saw that first plane hit the tower, mm-hmm. And then we started disseminating out the uh, the threats and what we saw and what we anticipated. We didn't figure out it was going to be two other airliners, right? Sure. And so 
but that kind of that near real-time dissemination. And we had some great clients, Prudential, Cigna, ADM, and, uh, and they became the like disciples for what we were doing because these guys were like right there on their phone, yeah. getting an alert saying that the towers have been hit. That's how they got the information. Yeah. Not, you know, they're not sitting there and, watching CNN, right? And so. how have you seen the space evolve you know, since then? I mean, you know. So it, that's my biggest like heartache <laughs> here right now. And that is I go to these booths. I talk to the various companies. Everything I see is essentially the same stuff that we did 20 years ago. Meaning like everything... It's, old is new again or well, just like the I, same know, thing with the rehashed it's yeah. like and i talked to them about you know like their roadmap and it's like why are you like rebuilding what's already been out there you know and, and is it every nuance no but in the macro it's the same i said where's the innovation guys mm -hmm. this is you know we've got a and and it's a real challenge and i deal with this now in my consulting because i'm working more at the organizational level right, right? so board, C-suite, and then people that have responsibility for what I call these tribal silos, right? Business continuity, security, cyber, no, security. No business. such a thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so those people understand the frustration of having what one guy called it, and I love this. It's like, it's like a wobbly, you know, mechanism, right? It's yeah. like, it's not stable. It's like, yeah. it's all wobbly. And there's like, you know, there's all these like infighting and, and they're really struggling. And, and it's when I sat down, this was about a, well, two years ago now with, with the CEO of a fortune 500 company. Mm -hmm. And he had a bit of an attitude about like, you know, essentially, you know, why, you know, cyber, they'll pump money into like, it's you know, sure. blank check. Right. But all this other stuff, it's like, what is it really doing for me? And I said, sir, let me just stop. Yeah, and, and let me ask you, when in February 2020 or March 2020, what did you do when your business faced an existential threat? And he goes, well, that seems a little harsh. I said, it could have been if that was more virile and killed all your yeah. employees. He said, he said, well, you know, we put together a COVID-19 task force. And I said, okay. And who was on that task force? Well, all the all of our key experts that knew the business. I said, okay. And what did they do? What was their authority and responsibility? He said, well, what do you think? They're, you know, they looked at what we needed to do to deal with the pandemic for our business. Okay. So you have an existential threat to your business. Right. You bring together, you flatten the organization. Yep. You bring together your experts, you feed them all the same information. So they're all looking at the same yep. data, determining how best to solve the problem. And how did they, who made the authority, the decision? He said, well, it was either the COO or myself. I said, right. So the decision authority was one step, right? Exactly. And then they would deploy it. If it worked, they would blast it out. Right. They would scale it up. If it didn't, they'd come back, retool it and try again. That's agile. Absolutely. Well, and I said, so you already did what I'm about to talk to you about. You have exactly. already done it. Exactly. I said, all I'm going to talk about is institutionalize it. You know, what's interesting. I think COVID, regardless of where people are politically on it, mm -hmm. but I think the idea of COVID 
exacerbate a lot of things. You know, if you had uh, maybe respiratory issues, it, it exacerbated that. But now let's think about this from an organizational point of view. Absolutely. For years, we've heard, and I'd, I'd pound on this, this, this desk if I could, but I won't. Um, <laughs> for years, we hear words like convergence, right. hybrid, and these things that were just concepts that people talked about. And I think over the, the period of time that we had lockdown and COVID, I think suddenly COVID forced these realities. Like, hey, you've been talking about hybrid work. That's great. Guess what? Now you, it's now you, here at your door right. and it needs you to figure it out. And oh, by the way, the assets, your information, your people yeah. are now spread all over the hotels. So we have these words like security at the endpoint. All that. Well, now, now it's scale that up to where the endpoint is in somebody's home that may or may not be, you know, connected to the network that may or may not be, you know, connected to a Zoom call that your kids sure. and all these ideas that I think <clears throat> we as organizations had to figure out. So I, and, I, and, they had to, and again, those teams had to figure that out in exactly. real time. Right. <laughs> it's like, exactly. OK, we're now going to have people work at home. Well, what does that mean? And everybody scrambled, but they worked together. The people side of the house the cyber side of the house, the physical security of the house, all work together and say, we're gonna do the best we can and, and exactly. you know, so shore this up. This idea, you know, I love this, uh, you know, I love that when people say combat operating picture, I've got that, I'm a former military sure, officer, yeah. I got it. But I think in order to get that, you need common operating information and common operating language. And as well, I What listen, I say is most organizations that I work with stink at <laughs> federating and normalizing data so that people can make cross-functional decisions. And if you think about like an investigation platform, yeah, right? Yeah. You know, it's like you put all that information in there and then if somebody's doing an investigation over here and there's a nexus, that software is gonna say, hey, wait a minute. You know, this, and, and we saw this guy two weeks before absolutely. here, right? And I think that's the interesting thing about another buzzword I think that we've had for a long time that's actually coming into fruition is this idea of digital transformation mm -hmm. and the ability of the digital space to make common operating language information and a picture because you're right then you go to this you know you want to go to, if you're the CSO of right. of this organization maybe that we've just created in this moment mm -hmm. you want to be able to go to the CEO and give them information by which they can make an informed decision not say, hey, here's French and I know you speak English. Can you figure it out and tell me what you want right. to do? Uh, yeah. But you're right. I mean, what what was the response to that individual when you said, look, you're already doing it. I'm just going to help you institutionalize. Because, yeah. So and I use that conversation now with COOs and others that I'm working with. It pay, basically it puts them at ease and it empowers them because they're like, you know what? Yeah. We did do that, that, you know, so, so it's like, we are our own worst enemy, right? All these tribal business yeah, continuities, sure. five physical, we, you love, know, we all we have our, our language. language, we have our certifications, our jargon. Well, I mean, and, you know, and you go up, you go up a level and they're like, that it's like, you know, just noise to them. It, right? Absolutely. I think oftentimes you know, you see it on the cyber side too, you're like, we want to call it APT or whatever. Yeah. And then somebody else wants to call it, you know, Lincoln, sorry, yeah, Lincoln APT, Mold DLP, or, yeah, whatever. It's like, can we just say this is a threat that we're dealing with? It's this level because you're right at that scale. What is a leader of the organization thinking about? They're thinking about the organization. They're not thinking about you and your right. time and space in your tribal language. So I think and, oftentimes, and, right, we flip yeah, this. What I've been script. doing with them is wiping all of that out. Uh huh. Right. And and I and I and I 
boil it down to this simple message. There's only four asset classes that matter to you. Okay. Four. That's it. Okay. People, sites, supply, and information. That's it. There's nothing else. Logical. Right? Those four asset classes and the business processes are what make the magic happen for your company. Bruce, how do you get, I mean, you and I, I totally <clears throat> am on board with the, the issues that we have in, in mm -hmm. tribal knowledge, tribal language, all that. Mm -hmm. How do you come and get those tribes to work together? Give them what? How do you get these, how do you get the CSO and the CISO to work together? How do you get the digital and the physical folks to come together? And then so how do you I, add- I've given that, uh, I started that in 2015, mm -hmm. right? Talking about the need, especially for cyber to converge with physical because people are critical, right? And how can you have a cyber security program that's not completely integrated with your behavioral threat and your insider risk? It's like, how can you do that? Now, how do you add legal and HR to that, that conversation now? Exactly, well, I'm saying, yes, exactly, right? So, so how can cyber sit over here with all their magical tools and data? The magical box. Yeah, and spend millions and millions of dollars and you're not involved with HR, you're not involved with legal, you're not involved with physical security, behavioral threat analysis. Like, how, how can you have a program that is at, and this is the wobbly part of it, right? right. You know, it's like, they're okay, and then all of a sudden people are involved, and then it gets complicated, uh -huh. and they wobble around. It's and, all fine until people get involved. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, all, it's all good until people get involved. So, so those, you know, so those are the challenges, and and when I talk about protecting assets, right, to senior managers, and that we want to get all of these tribes to, that have a nexus in those assets mm -hmm. to work together holistically to focus on. The protection of people, for example, we talk about people risk management, right? Right. Travel is a modality. Yeah, it's important, but you know what? I've got people spewed all over the world, right? And I yep. need to take care of them, right? That's so, interesting. So it helps them understand how to think about this in a in a simple way without getting mired in risk and insurance and and right. executive protection and physical security and crisis management and emergency management and di disaster recovery and business gone, you know, it go and their brain explodes. So I right. have a good friend who's, mm -hmm. uh, you know, he's over the pond in the UK and he often said like, look, we in the intelligence, corporate intelligence space, we often get hung up on like, I'm doing cyber, or I'm doing physical, I'm doing this. He's like, and in fact, it's intelligence support too. Mm -hmm. Intelligence support too. EP, intelligence support to something else. And I, I love your idea of like, mm -hmm. let's classify these into four big buckets so we can all look at them at the same and level. Share and share the data. Yeah, where do I right. fit in this space? Mm -hmm. Because Absolutely. then we can start in, as a an IC yourself, I think mm -hmm. you'll get this. We can start understanding what the priority information or intelligence requirements are for the organization. And, and yeah, priority, uh, PIR, right? Yeah. Good old military guys. <clears throat> When I came up as an Intel analyst back in the 80s, I'd love the thing. It's like, you can talk to me about Intel requirements all day long, young man. <laughs> all I'm doing is asking you a question that I want answered. But we need to make it cool, so we're going to call it <laughs> exactly. EIR and make it more and, difficult. And it's like, that stuck with me because it's <laughs> like, yes, sir, you know, you're right. I'm using my jargon, PIRs yep. and IRs. And it's like, no, here's my question. I want it yep. answered. 
and oftentimes, you know, you know organizations put things out like 10Ks yeah, if you're somewhere right. and you're trying to figure it out. Hey, here, you know, and often you can come and say, here's what I think is important to you. Yes, no, maybe. Right. Give me some ideas and then go back and we can monitor against it. And, so the 10K and ERM is another area yeah. that I, as I work with senior management, I'm getting them to rethink about what they're doing because what they're doing is not helpful. Right. It's not helpful. And they're like, what do you mean? And I'm, I love this objective centric ERM. Yes. Right. Where you don't just have a register that's yes. a dump of and, you know, you shoot out a survey to the guys and say, what risk do you have? No. What is the critical business objective? What are the risks to ensure? Well, Bruce, the look at my spreadsheet. It's mm -hmm. got 45 tabs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and so every objective should be what are the risks to the certainty in delivering on that objective? Yes. Then for us, what are the operational risks and what are we doing to mitigate that? And what are we spending to mitigate it that's going to have a direct line to the board and the CEO saying, this is one of our key business objectives. Bruce, and it sounds like you're creating value in the security space. How dare you create exactly. those value statements? <laughs> and a 10K would be a hell of a lot more interesting if it was organized that way. Well, I think we, even right. in our own like state of, uh, mid-year state of PI, we're mm -hmm. seeing that some of, the, some of those risk statements in 10Ks are making their way, and probably as a result of the tumultuous times that we live right. in, but you're starting to see those. And, I wonder, do you think that we'll see the development of the chief risk officer in the next five years? So here, this is the challenge that we have in the industry. Because remember, I've been fortunate. You know, I was in you know, government, military, yep. right? I, I am very active in RIMS, Risk and Insurance oh, Management. What a great you know, what a ASIS, great yep. you know, um, and also you know, the travel industry for travel risks. And, and so I, I tend to be back. You're like, so I'm not embedded in ASIS. I'm not embedded right. in physical security. So I can kind of see things, you know, from a, from a broader perspective. We already have chief risk officers. That's the problem. And when you try to like, it's the same thing when I say with security, mm -hmm. right? Everybody in this room loves to say, you know, oh, enterprise security, risk management, security this, security that. And they make an assumption that the receiver knows they're talking about physical security. Yeah, that is not the case. When I go to a board meeting or I talk to senior executives, and you use the word security, a lot of times they think it's digital. cyber. Yeah, I, I Boom. totally agree. Totally agree. Physical I, is not like not even in their realm of like whatever, right? You know, and and of course, if I walk up to an individual on the street and I say something, well, that's their personal security. Uh, it's, right? <laughs> or the security guys or the security guys. Or the law or, enforcement yeah, yeah, yeah. or whatever. You know, so the fact that we throw these terms around like security, like chief risk officer, they're overloaded. It we we miscommunicate with, with our audience. Yeah, that's a you know, that's a great okay. insight. I know I created a team back in my corporate days that mm -hmm. looked at strategic, you know, intelligence to the organization trying to do exactly kind of what you're saying. Like, right. look, we want you to step back and look at things across the board mm -hmm. and start bringing people together and saying, well, you know, and I would have folks that would come in and say, like, well, I'm not really a security person. And my, my, <laughs> my answer was, but your risk. Right. So if we can get everybody in the same room and just start talking about what we what what we're interested in, what frightens us, 
what we need to monitor against. And, and that's that point. So if we yeah. take an asset class like people exactly, and we say, okay, risk manager that's buying insurance, like, well, what do you, what do you, what, what does that risk profile look like for our yeah. people? Right. What are you actually even, you know, just going and getting some, you know, I don't know, it's, you know, travel and what they call it, BTA business yeah. travel policy or whatever. It's like, Okay, but is it even covering? Are there exclusions like where we're operating? I went into a company and their BTA excluded Israel, and they had an office in Israel. Uh, and it's like, so you didn't actually read this, you yeah. know? And, and they were embarrassed. Likely right? they didn't. So and they'd been operating with that policy oh my, for many oh years, my gosh. and Bruce, they moved into Israel, and nobody thought about looking at the policy, right? I, I mean, what's hopeful in this space to you as you look around, like? <laughs> There's got to be some spots that you're like, you know what? This gives me some hope. So we need to get out of our own way broadly. Right. Uh, every tribal silo, including ASIS and security, are all trying, trying to get the attention from that next tier. Mm -hmm. And they're using risk management as their hope. Right. That's their hope, like right. enterprise security risk management. Right? right. To try to be more relevant and to carry that value down to them of why they should be either preeminent. Mm -hmm. Right. And then the, and now we have this resilience. Right. You know, so now business continuity is business resilience and security resilience and and operational resilience. And, and every and everybody wants to jump on the resilience bandwagon. It's like. No, risk management is a good paradigm because yep. that's ultimately what they're asking us to do. And all the people that are in that arena, mm -hmm. get out of your stovepipes and start coming together around these asset classes mm -hmm. and do your job, do your collective multidisciplinary job. I just did an outbrief with a Fortune 500 company yesterday, mm -hmm. completely restructuring this whole area to bring in what and what the military calls ACE now. Sure. Agile combat employment. You never you don't get one classification, right? Now right. you get three or four classifications, so you become more multidimensional. Right. I'm saying the same thing. All of these tribal people, I don't care if you're in crisis, emergency, business continuity, physical security, whatever, you need to broaden and learn at a basic level those classifications so you can be multidimensional and integrated into this broader team. I love it. I love and it. that's that's what we're pushing. And I think that's the solution to start breaking that down, getting people to work together. Then the solutions for those integrated teams to work are mm -hmm. going to be way more innovative than what we see today. It's amazing. One last question sure. <laughs> uh, for you. All right. Just from, you know, you've you've been IC, you've been you know, bit dot mil dot gov dot com. Mm -hmm. And we live in a, you know, a tumultuous time. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, my, my, my uh, co-pirat in podcasting, Fred Burton might say, you know, we're not necessarily in a more dangerous time, but we see more danger coming out based on things like OSINT. What are you looking at horizon wise for the next, realizing there's some crystal ball, but sure. is there anything to you that says, hey, all these things are happening now, we should maybe be thinking about this. So they are all happening now and accelerating. <laughs> yes. Uh, and the the uncertainty is increased. So whenever you have uncertainty, you have way more risk, right? So right now, 
there's no question that we're going to end up with Team China and Team West, right? Uh, those could end up being two completely autonomous but interconnected environments as far as currency, you know, mm -hmm. they, whether it's cyber or not, um, you know, economic rules of trade, you know, all, so, so we're going to end up in this at least bipolar, you know, India could end up being multipolar down the road. Yep. But I think before that becomes completely manifested, we're going to step on our toes. Um, you know, when you have leadership like Xi or Putin, where you, you know, you, the, it's the hubris <clears throat> of one individual can change mm -hmm. the course of a nation. We have that situation in spades right now yep. and could have it with Xi. So that, those things bother me. But when I actually look more strategically in the long run, yep. I see more disruption around food and water. Agree in creating real, real kinetic issues. China right now has their hand around the neck of India when it comes to water. Mm -hmm. That what, what you know, you're, three days you're dead without water, right? right? I mean, talk about an existential threat. It's those kinds of things that concern me and are we going to, in, in the fragmented global governance structure that's already here and is not going to heal in my lifetime or longer, mm -hmm. right? We're not going to have a unified global governance. Just not, it's not in the cards, right? right? If we don't have that, how are we going to steer humankind and the planet to the direction that it has long-term viability is of concern. And right now, the, what I see is when I finish my presentations on mega trends and stuff, mm -hmm. I always finish with reasons for hope. And I'll do that yeah, here. Thank you. <laughs> when I see. Don't reach for the whiskey bottle yes, yet, folks. <laughs> uh, I always finish with the technology and the innovation that is yeah. not only on the in the mind, right. but what actually exists today that just needs capital and scale can solve so many of the problems that we have today. Yep. And the trajectory of these innovations are amazing around power and power storage and, yep. and you know, cancer and DNA splicing and all the stuff that's going on. Uh, I see great opportunity for humankind, just like we kind of messed everything up with the industrial age, right? Moved everybody off the farms and threw them into cities and have steam power and petroleum and, and change the whole nature of human being and mm -hmm. work and life. I see we're going through another transition now with this digital technologies that we have in changing the whole nature where robotics and AI, a lot of these jobs that you see in this hall today will not exist in human manifestation. Yeah. So what are we gonna do in 10 years and 15 years when 40% of these jobs don't exist, right? Well, but what is it? We came from there. Let's, well, move, every, let's move everybody back to well, the country. Well, and Yeah, you know. exactly. <laughs> Indeed, the human adventure is just beginning. Oh, absolutely. So, so that's exciting. Bruce, yeah. how do people follow? I'm the one that follows everything you put out because I think you, like you said, mega trends and all. How do people follow you? So I'm on uh, LinkedIn. It's a good start and have a great community there. Yep. And then uh, on my, you know, macanoriskadvisory.com, yep. um, you can track me and I put out little newsletters and I do briefings all over the place. Yep. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And you should try to check out the unexpurgated Mr. Bruce McIndoe whenever you Thanks. can, sir. Thank you for spending some time with me today oh, at uh, the Haunting Group. Fun time. This episode was brought to you by the Ontic Center for Protective Intelligence. Learn more at ontic.co forward slash center. Again, ontic.co forward slash center. It was produced by AJ McKeon. Our music track is called Monteverde Ride and was written by Brian Bristow and performed by Smoke and Novas. Check them out on Spotify. Please remember to rate and review our podcast on iTunes and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have questions, we'd love to hear them. You can reach us at podcast at ontic.co or visit ontic.co forward slash center for more information. Thank you for listening.